The Brownies by Juliana Horatia Ewing. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush in Marquette, Michigan, June 2010. The Brownies by Juliana Horatia Ewing. Barons are a burden, said the tailor to himself as he sat at work. He lived in a village on some of the glorious moors of the north of England, and by barons he meant children, as every Northman knows. Barons are a burden, and he sighed. Barons are a blessing, said the old lady in the window. It is the family motto. The Trouts have had large families and good luck for generations. That is, till your grandfather's time. He had only one son. I married him. He was a good husband, but he had been a spoiled child. He had always been used to be waited upon, and he couldn't fash to look after the farm when it was his own. We had six children. They are all dead but you. You were the youngest. You were bound to a tailor. When the farm came into your hands, your wife died, and you have never looked up since. The land is sold now, but not the house. No, no. You're right enough there. But you've had your troubles, son Thomas, and the lads are idle. It was the tailor's mother who spoke. She was a very old woman, and helpless. She was not quite so bright in her intellect as she had been, and got muddled over things that had lately happened. But she had a clear memory for what was long past, and was very pertinacious in her opinions. She knew the private history of almost every family in the place, and who of the trouts were buried under which old stones in the churchyard, and had more tales of ghosts, doubles, warnings, fairies, witches, hobgoblins, and such-like, than even her grandchildren had ever come to the end of. Her hands trembled with age, and she regretted this for nothing more than for the danger it brought her into of spilling the salt. She was past housework, but all day she sat knitting hearth-rugs out of the bits and scraps of cloth that were shred in the tailoring. How far she believed in the wonderful tales she told, and the odd little charms she practiced, no one exactly knew. But the older she grew, the stranger were the things she remembered, and the more testy she was if any one doubted their truth. "'Barons are a blessing,' said she. "'It is the family motto.' "'Are they?' said the tailor emphatically. He had a high respect for his mother, and did not like to contradict her, but he held his own opinion, based upon personal experience and not being a metaphysician, did not understand that it is safer to found opinions on principles than on experience, since experience can alter, but principles cannot. "'Look at Tommy,' he broke out suddenly. "'That boy does nothing but whittle sticks from morning till night. I have almost to lug him out of bed some mornings. If I send him an errand, he loiters. I'd better have gone myself. If I set him to do anything, I have to tell him everything.' I could sooner do it myself. And if he does work, it's done so unwillingly, with such a poor grace, better, far better, to do it myself. What housework do the boys ever do but looking after the baby? And this afternoon she was asleep in the cradle, and off they went, and when she awoke I must leave my work to take her. I gave her her supper and put her to bed. And what with what they want and I have to get, and what they take out to play with and lose, and what they bring in to play with and leave about, barons give some trouble, mother, and I've not an easy life of it. The pay is poor enough when one can get the work, and the work is hard enough when one has a clear day to do it in. 
but housekeeping and barren-minding don't leave a man much time for his trade. No, no, ma'am, the luck of the trouts is gone, and barons are a burden, is the motto now. Though they are one's own, he muttered to himself, and not bad ones, and I did hope once would have been a blessing. There's Johnny, murmured the old lady dreamily. He has a face like an apple. And it's about as useful, said the tailor. He might have been different, but his brother leads him by the nose. His brother led him in as the tailor spoke, not literally by his snub, though, but by the hand. They were a handsome pair, this lazy couple. Johnny especially had the largest and roundest of foreheads, the reddest of cheeks, the brightest of eyes, the quaintest and most twitchy of chins, and looked altogether like a gutta-percha cherub in a chronic state of longitudinal squeeze. They were locked together by two grubby paws, and had each an armful of moss, which they deposited on the floor as they came in. "'I've swept this floor once to-day,' said the father, "'and I'm not going to do it again. Put that rubbish outside.' "'Move it, Johnny,' said his brother, seating himself on a stool, and taking out his knife and a piece of wood at which he cut and sliced, while the apple-cheeked Johnny stumbled and stamped over the moss, and scraped it out on the doorstep, leaving long trails of earth behind him, and then sat down also. "'And those chips the same,' added the tailor. "'I will not clear up the litter you lads make.' "'Pick em up, Johnny,' said Thomas Trout, Jr., with an exasperated sigh, and the apple tumbled up, rolled after the flying chips, and tumbled down again. "'Is there any supper, father?' asked Tommy. "'No, there is not, sir, unless you know how to get it,' said the tailor, and taking his pipe he went out of the house. "'Is there nothing to eat, Granny?' asked the boy. "'No, my baron, only some bread for breakfast to-morrow. "'What makes father so cross, Granny?' "'He's wearied, and you don't help him, my dear.' "'What could I do, Grandmother?' "'Many little things if you tried,' said the old lady. "'He spent half an hour to-day, while you were on the moor, getting turf for the fire, "'and you could have got it just as well, and he been at his work.' "'He never told me,' said Tommy. "'You might help me a bit just now, if you would, my laddie,' said the old lady coaxingly. "'These bits of cloth want tearing into lengths, and if you get em ready, I can go on knitting. "'There'll be some food when this mat is done and sold.' "'I'll try,' said Tommy, lounging up with desperate resignation. "'Hold my knife, Johnny. "'Father's been cross, and everything has been miserable, ever since the farm was sold. "'I wish I were a big man, and could make a fortune. "'Will that do, Granny?' "'The old lady put down her knitting and looked.' "'My dear, that's too short. "'Bless me, I gave the lad a piece to measure by. "'I thought it was the same length. "'Oh, dear, I am so tired.' "'And he propped himself against the old lady's chair. "'My dear, don't lean so. "'You'll topple me over,' she shrieked. "'I beg your pardon, Grandmother. "'Will that do? "'It's that much too long. "'Tear that bit off. "'Now it's all right. "'But, my dear, that wastes it. Now that bit is of no use. There goes my knitting, you awkward lad. Johnny, pick it up. Oh, Grandmother, I am so hungry. The boy's eyes filled with tears, and the old lady was melted in an instant. What can I do for you, my poor barons? said she. There, never mind the scraps, Tommy. Tell us a tale, Granny. 
If you told us a new one, I shouldn't keep thinking of that bread in the cupboard. Come, Johnny, and sit against me. Now then. I doubt if there's one of my old world cracks I haven't told you, said the old lady, unless it's a queer ghost story was told me years ago of that house in the hollow with the blocked-up windows. Oh, not ghosts, Tommy broke in. We've had so many. I know it was a rattling or a scratching or a knocking or a figure in white, and if it turns out a tombstone or a white petticoat, I hate it. It was nothing of the sort of a tombstone, said the old lady with dignity. It's a good half mile from the churchyard. And as to white petticoats, there wasn't a female in the house. He wouldn't have one. And his victuals came in by the pantry window. But never mind, though it's as true as a sermon. Johnny lifted his head from his brother's knee. Let Granny tell what she likes, Tommy. It's a new ghost, and I should like to know who he was and why his victuals came in by the window. I don't like a story about victuals, sulked Tommy. It makes me think of the bread. Oh, Granny dear, do tell us a fairy story. You never tell us about the fairies, and I know you know. Hush, hush, said the old lady. There's Miss Surbiton's love letter and her dreadful end. I know Miss Surbiton, Granny. I think she was a goose. Why don't you tell us about the fairies? Hush, hush, my dear. There's the clerk and the corpse candles. I know the corpse candles, Granny. Besides, they make Johnny dream, and he wakes me to keep him company. Why don't you tell us about the fairies? My dear, they don't like it, said the old lady. Oh, Granny dear, why don't they? Do tell. I shouldn't think of the bread a bit if you told us about the fairies. I know nothing about them. He lived in this house long enough, said the old lady, but it's not lucky to name him. Oh, Granny, we are so hungry and miserable. What can it matter? Well, that's true enough, she sighed. Trout's luck is gone. It went with the brownie, I believe. Was that he, Granny? Yes, my dear. He lived with the Trouts for several generations. What was he like, Granny? Like a little man, they say, my dear. What did he do? He came in before the family were up, and swept up the hearth, and lighted the fire, and set out the breakfast, and tidied the room, and did all sorts of housework. But he never would be seen, and was off before they could catch him. But they could hear him laughing and playing about the house sometimes. What a darling! Did they give him any wages, Granny? No, my dear, he did it for love. They set a panchion of clear water for him overnight, and now and then a bowl of bread and milk or cream. He liked that, for he was very dainty. Sometimes he left a bit of money in the water. Sometimes he weeded the garden or threshed the corn. He saved endless trouble, both to men and maids. Oh, Granny, why did he go? The maids caught sight of him one night, my dear, and his coat was so ragged that they got a new suit and a linen shirt for him and laid them by the bread and milk bowl. But when Brownie saw the things, he put them on and dancing around the kitchen and sang, What have we here? Hempton, Hempton. Here will I never more tread nor stampton. And so danced through the door and never came back again. Oh, Grandmother, but why not? Didn't he like the new clothes? The old owl knows, my dear. I don't. Who's the old owl, Granny? I don't exactly know, my dear. It's what my mother used to say when we asked anything that puzzled her. It was said that the old owl was Nanny Bessum, 
a witch, my dear, who took the shape of a bird, but couldn't change her voice, and that's why the owl sits silent all day, for fear she should betray herself by speaking, and has no singing voice like other birds. Many people used to go and consult the old owl at moonrise in my young days. Did you ever go, Granny? Once very nearly, my dear. Oh, tell us, Granny, dear. There are no corpse candles, Johnny. It's only moonlight, he added consolingly, as Johnny crept closer to his knee and pricked his little red ears. It was when your grandfather was courting me, my dears, said the old lady, and I couldn't quite make up my mind. So I went to my mother and said, He's this on the one side, and then he's that on the other, and so on. Shall I say yes or no? And my mother said, The old owl knows, for she was fairly puzzled. So says I, I'll go and ask her tonight, as sure as the moon rises. So at moonrise I went, and there in the white light by the gate stood your grandfather. What are you doing here at this time of night? says I. Watching your window, says he. What are you doing here at this time of night? The old owl knows, said I, and burst out crying. What for? said Johnny. I can't rightly tell you, my dear, said the old lady, but it gave me such a turn to see him, and without more ado your grandfather kissed me. How dare you, said I, what do you mean? The old owl knows, said he. So we never went. How stupid, said Tommy. Tell us more about Brownie, please, said Johnny. Did he ever live with anybody else? There are plenty of brownies, said the old lady, or used to be in my mother's young days. Some houses had several. Oh, I wish ours would come back, cried both the boys in chorus. He'd tidy the room, said Johnny. Fetch the turf, said Tommy. Pick up the chips, said Johnny. Sort your scraps, said Tommy. And do everything. Oh, I wish he hadn't gone away. What's that? said the tailor, coming in at this moment. It's the brownie, father, said Tommy. We are so sorry he went, and do so wish we had one. What nonsense have you been telling them, mother? asked the tailor. Heidi tidy said the old lady, bristling. Nonsense indeed. As good men as you, son Thomas, would as soon have jumped off the crags as spoken lightly of them in my mother's young days. Well, well, said the tailor, I beg their pardon. They never did aught for me, whatever they did for my forebears. But they're as welcome to the old place as ever, if they choose to come. There's plenty to do. Would you mind our setting a pan of water, father? asked Tommy very gently. There's no bread and milk. You may set what you like, my lad, said the tailor, and I wish there were bread and milk for your sakes, barons. You should have it, had I got it. But go to bed now. They lugged out a pancheon and filled it with more dexterity than usual, and then went off to bed, leaving the knife in one corner, the wood in another, and a few splashes of water in their track. There was more room than comfort in the ruined old farmhouse, and the two boys slept on a bed of cut heather in what had been the old malt loft. Johnny was soon in the land of dreams, growing rosier and rosier as he slept, a tumbled apple among the gray heather. But not so lazy Tommy. The idea of a domesticated brownie had taken full possession of his mind, and whither brownie had gone, where he might be found, and what would induce him to return, were mysteries he longed to solve. 
There's an owl living in the old shed by the mirror, he thought. It may be the old owl herself, and she knows, Granny says. When father's gone to bed and the moon rises, I'll go. Meanwhile, he lay down. The moon rose like gold and went up into the heavens like silver, flooding the moors with a pale ghostly light, taking the color out of the heather and painting black shadows under the stone walls. Tommy opened his eyes and ran to the window. The moon has risen, said he, and crept softly down the ladder, through the kitchen, where was the pan of water, but no brownie, and so out on to the moor. The air was fresh, not to say chilly, but it was a glorious night, though everything but the wind and Tommy seemed asleep. The stones, the walls, the gleaming lanes were so intensely still. The church tower in the valley seemed awake and watching, but silent. The houses in the village round it had all their eyes shut, that is, their window blinds down, and it seemed to Tommy as if the very moors had drawn white sheets over them and lay sleeping also. Hoot, hoot, said a voice from the fir plantation behind him. Somebody else was awake then. It's the old owl, said Tommy, and there she came, swinging heavily across the moor with a flapping stately flight, and sailed into the shed by the mirror. The old lady moved faster than she seemed to do, and though Tommy ran hard, she was in the shed some time before him. When he got in, no bird was to be seen, but he heard a crunching sound from above, and looking up, there sat the old owl, pecking and tearing and munching at some shapeless black object, and blinking at him, Tommy, with yellow eyes. "'Oh, dear,' said Tommy, for he didn't much like it. The old owl dropped the black mass onto the floor, and Tommy did not care somehow to examine it. "'Come up, come up,' said she hoarsely. She could speak, then. Beyond all doubt it was the old owl, and none other. Tommy shuddered. "'Come up here, come up here,' said the old owl. The old owl sat on a beam that ran across the shed. Tommy had often climbed up for fun, and he climbed up now, and sat face to face with her, and thought her eyes looked as if they were made of flame. "'Kiss my fluffy face,' said the owl. Her eyes were going round like flaming Catherine wheels, but there are certain requests which one has not the option of refusing. Tommy crept nearer and put his lips to the round face out of which the eyes shone. Oh, it was so downy and warm, so soft, so indescribably soft. Tommy's lips sank into it and couldn't get to the bottom. It was unfathomable feathers and fluffiness. Now what do you want? said the owl. Please, said Tommy, who felt rather reassured. Can you tell me where to find the brownies and how to get one to come and live with us? Oh, ho, said the owl. That's it, is it? I know of three brownies. Hurrah, said Tommy. Where do they live? In your house, said the owl. Tommy was aghast. In our house, he exclaimed. Whereabouts? Let me rummage them out. Why do they do nothing? One of them is too young, said the owl. But why don't the others work? asked Tommy. They are idle. They are idle, said the old owl, and she gave herself such a shake as she said it that the fluff went flying through the shed, and Tommy nearly tumbled off the beam in his fright. 
"'Then we don't want them,' said he. "'What is the use of having brownies if they do nothing to help us?' "'Perhaps they don't know how, as no one has told them,' said the owl. "'I wish you would tell me where to find them,' said Tommy. "'I could tell them.' "'Could you?' said the owl. "'Oh, ho, oh, ho!' And Tommy couldn't tell whether she were hooting or laughing. "'Of course I could,' he said. "'They might be up and sweep the house and light the fire "'and spread the table and that sort of thing before Father came down.' Besides, they could see what was wanted. The brownies did all that in Granny's mother's young days. And then they could tidy the room and fetch the turf and pick up my chips and sort Granny's scraps. Oh, there's lots to do. So there is, said the owl. Oh, ho! Well, I can tell you where to find one of the brownies, and if you find him, he will tell you where his brother is. But all this depends on whether you feel equal to undertaking it and whether you will follow my directions. "'I'm quite ready to go,' said Tommy, "'and I will do as you shall tell me. I feel sure I could persuade them, if they only knew how every one would love them if they made themselves useful.' "'Oh, ho, oh, ho,' said the owl. "'Now pay attention. You must go to the north side of the mirror when the moon is shining.' "'I know brownies like water,' muttered Tommy. "'And turn yourself round three times,' saying this charm. Twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and saw. When you have got so far, look into the water, and at the same moment you will see the brownie, and think of a word that will fill up the couplet and rhyme with the first line. If either you do not see the brownie or fail to think of the word, it will be of no use. Is the brownie a merman? said Tommy, wriggling himself along the beam. "'That he lives under water?' "'That depends on whether he has a fish's tail,' said the owl. "'And this you can discover for yourself.' "'Well, the moon is shining, so I shall go,' said Tommy. "'Good-bye, and thank you, ma'am.' And he jumped down and went, saying to himself as he ran, "'I believe he is a merman all the same, "'or else how could he live in the mirror? "'I know more about brownies than Granny does, "'and I shall tell her so.' for Tommy was somewhat opinionated, like other young people. The moon shone very brightly on the center of the mirror. Tommy knew the place well, for there was a fine echo there. Round the edge grew rushes and water plants, which cast a border of shadow. Tommy went to the north side, and turning himself three times, as the old owl had told him, he repeated the charm. Twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and saw... Now for it. He looked in and saw the reflection of his own face. Why, there's no one but myself, said Tommy. What can the word be? I must have done it wrong. Wrong, said the echo. Tommy was almost surprised to find the echo awake at this time of night. Hold your tongue, said he. Matters are provoking enough of themselves. Belf, kelf, delf, belf. Gelf, health, jelf. What rubbish! There can't be a word to fit it. And then to look for a brownie and see nothing but myself. Myself, said the echo. Will you be quiet, said Tommy. If you would tell one the word, there would be some sense in your interference. But to roar myself at one, which neither rhymes nor runs. It does rhyme, though, as it happens, he added. 
And how very odd. It runs, too. Twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and saw myself. Which I certainly did. What can it mean? The old owl knows, as Granny would say. So I shall go back and ask her. Ask her, said the echo. Didn't I say I should, said Tommy. How exasperating you are. It is very strange. Myself certainly does rhyme, and I wonder I did not think of it long ago. Go, said the echo. Will you mind your own business and go to sleep, said Tommy. I am going. I said I should. And back he went. There sat the old owl as before. Oh, said she as Tommy climbed up. What did you see in the mirror? I saw nothing but myself, said Tommy indignantly. And what did you expect to see? asked the owl. I expected to see a brownie, said Tommy. You told me so. And what are brownies like, pray? inquired the owl. The one Granny knew was a useful little fellow, something like a little man, said Tommy. Ah, said the owl. But you know at present this one is an idle little fellow and something like a little man. Oh ho, oh ho, are you quite sure you didn't see him? Quite, answered Tommy sharply. I saw no one but myself. Hoot toot, how touchy we are, and who are you, pray? I'm not a brownie, said Tommy. Don't be too sure, said the owl. Did you find out the word? No, said Tommy. I could find no word with any meaning that would rhyme but myself. Well, that runs and rhymes, said the owl. What do you want? Where's your brother now? In bed in the malt loft, said Tommy. Then now all your questions are answered, said the owl. And you know what wants doing, so go and do it. Good night, or rather good morning, for it's long past midnight. And the old lady began to shake her feathers for a start. Don't go yet, please, said Tommy humbly. I don't understand it. You know I'm not a brownie, am I? Yes, you are, said the owl, and a very idle one, too. All children are brownies. But I couldn't do work like a brownie, said Tommy. Why not? inquired the owl. Couldn't you sweep the floor, light the fire, spread the table, tidy the room, fetch the turf, pick up your own chips, and sort your grandmother's scraps? You know there's lots to do. But I don't think I should like it, said Tommy. I'd much rather have a brownie to do it for me. And what would you do meanwhile? asked the owl. Be idle, I suppose. And what do you suppose is the use of a man's having children if they do nothing to help him? Ah, if they only knew how everyone would love them if they made themselves useful. But is it really and truly so? asked Tommy in a dismal voice. Are there no brownies but children? No, there are not, said the owl. And pray, do you think that the brownies, whoever they may be, come into the house to save trouble for the idle, healthy little boys who live in it? Listen to me, Tommy, said the old lady, her eyes shooting rays of fire in the dark corner where she sat. Listen to me. You are a clever boy and can understand when one speaks. So I will tell you the whole story of the brownies, 
as it has been handed down in our family from my grandmother's great-grandmother, who lived in the Druid's Oak, and was intimate with the fairies. And when I have done, you shall tell me what you think they are, if they are not children. It's the opinion I have come to at any rate, and I don't think that wisdom died with our great-grandmothers. I should like to hear it, if you please, said Tommy. The old owl shook out a tuft or two of fluff, and set her eyes a-going, and began. The brownies, or, as they are sometimes called, the small folk, the little people, or the good people, are a race of tiny beings who domesticate themselves in a house of which some grown-up human being pays the rent and taxes. They are like small additions of men and women. They are too small and fragile for heavy work. They have not the strength of a man, but are a thousand times more fresh and nimble. They can run and jump and roll and tumble, with marvelous agility and endurance, and of many of the aches and pains which men and women groan under, they do not even know the names. They have no trade or profession, and as they live entirely upon other people, they know nothing of domestic cares. In fact, they know very little upon any subject, though they are often intelligent and highly inquisitive. They love dainties, play, and mischief. They are apt to be greatly beloved, and are themselves capriciously affectionate. They are little people, and can only do little things. When they are idle and mischievous, they are called bogarts, and are a curse to the house they live in. When they are useful and considerate, they are brownies, and are a much coveted blessing. Sometimes the blessed brownies will take up their abode with some worthy couple, cheer them with their romps and merry laughter, tidy the house, find things that have been lost, and take little troubles out of hands full of great anxieties. Then in time these little people are brownies no longer. They grow up into men and women. They do not care so much for dainties, play, or mischief. They cease to jump and tumble and roll about the house. They know more and laugh less. Then, when their heads begin to ache with anxiety, and they have to labor for their own living, and the great cares of life come on, other brownies come and live with them, and take up their little cares, and supply their little comforts, and make the house merry once more. "'How nice!' said Tommy. "'Very nice,' said the old owl. "'But what?' and she shook herself more fiercely than ever, and glared so that Tommy expected nothing less than that her eyes would set fire to her feathers, and she would be burnt alive. But what must I say of the Bogarts? Those idle urchins who eat the bread and milk, and don't do the work, who lie in bed without an ache or pain to excuse them, who untidy instead of tidying, cause work instead of doing it, and leave little cares to heap on big cares, till the old people who support them are worn out altogether. "'Don't,' said Tommy. "'I can't bear it.' "'I hope when Bogarts grow into men,' said the old owl, "'that their children will be Bogarts, too, "'and then they'll know what it is.' "'Don't,' roared Tommy. "'I won't be a Bogart. "'I'll be a Brownie.' "'That's right,' nodded the old owl. "'I said you were a boy who could understand when one spoke.' And remember that the brownies never are seen at their work. They get up before the household and get away before anyone can see them. I can't tell you why. I don't think my grandmother's great-grandmother knew. Perhaps because all good deeds are better done in secret. Please, said Tommy, I should like to go home now and tell Johnny. It's getting cold, and I'm so tired. 
very true said the old owl and then you will have to be up early to-morrow i think i had better take you home i know the way thank you said tommy i didn't say show you the way i said take you carry you said the owl lean against me i'd rather not thank you said tommy lean against me screamed the owl oh ho how obstinate boys are to be sure tommy crept up very unwillingly lean your full weight and shut your eyes said the owl tommy laid his head against the old owl's feathers had a vague idea that she smelt of heather and thought it must be from living on the moor shut his eyes and leaned his full weight expecting that he and the owl would certainly fall off the beam together down feathers fluff he sank and sank could feel nothing solid jumped up with a start to save himself opened his eyes and found that he was sitting among the heather in the malt loft with johnny sleeping by his side how quickly we came said he that is certainly a very clever old owl i couldn't have counted ten whilst my eyes were shut how very odd but what was odder still was that it was no longer moonlight but early dawn get up johnny said his brother i've got a story to tell you and while johnny sat up and rubbed his eyes open he related his adventures on the moor is all that true said johnny i mean did it really happen of course it did said his brother don't you believe it oh yes said johnny but i thought it was perhaps only a true story like granny's true stories i believe all those you know but if you were there you know it is different i was there said tommy and it's all just as i tell you and i tell you what if we mean to do anything we must get up though oh dear i should like to stay in bed i say he added after a pause suppose we do it can't matter being bogarts for one night more i mean to be a brownie before i grow up though i couldn't stand bogarty children i won't be a bogart at all said johnny it's horrid but i don't see how we can be brownies for i'm afraid we can't do the things i wish i were bigger i can do it well enough said tommy following his brother's example and getting up don't you suppose i can light a fire think of all the bonfires we have made and i don't think i would mind having a regular good tidying up either it's that stupid putting away things when you're done with them that i hate so the brownies crept softly down the ladder and into the kitchen there was the blank hearth the dirty floor and all the odds and ends lying about looking cheerless enough in the dim light tommy felt quite important as he looked round there is no such cure for untidiness as clearing up after other people one sees so clearly where the fault lies look at that doorstep johnny said the brownie elect what a mess you made of it if you had lifted the moss carefully instead of stamping and struggling with it it would have saved us ten minutes work this morning this wisdom could not be gainsaid and johnny only looked meek and rueful i am going to light the fire pursued his brother the next turfs you know we must get you can tidy a bit look at that knife i gave you to hold last night and that wood that's my fault though and so are those scraps by granny's chair what are you grubbing at that rat hole for johnny raised his head somewhat flushed and tumbled 
"What do you think I have found?" said he, triumphantly. "Father's measure that has been lost for a week." "Hurrah!" said Tommy. "Put it by his things. That's just the sort of thing for a Brownie to have done. What will he say? And I say, Johnnie, when you've tidied, you go and grub up a potato or two in the garden, and I'll put them to roast for breakfast. I'm lighting such a bonfire." The fire was very successful. Johnnie went after the potatoes, and Tommy cleaned the doorstep, swept the room, dusted the chairs and the old chest, and set out the table. There was no doubt he could be handy when he chose. "'I'll tell you what I've thought of, if we have time,' said Johnnie, as he washed the potatoes in the water that had been set for Brownie. "'We might run down to the south pasture for some mushrooms. Father said the reason we found so few was that people go by sunrise for them to take to market. The sun's only just rising.' We should be sure to find some, and they would do for breakfast. There's plenty of time, said Tommy, so they went. The dew lay heavy and thick upon the grass by the roadside, and over the miles of network that the spiders had woven from blossom to blossom of the heather. The dew is the sun's breakfast, but he was barely up yet, and had not eaten it, and the world felt anything but warm. Nevertheless, it was so sweet and fresh as it is at no later hour of the day, and every sound was like the returning voice of a long-absent friend. Down to the pastures where was more network and more dew, but when one has nothing to speak of in the way of boots, the state of the ground is of the less consequence. The tailor had been right. There was no lack of mushrooms at this time of the morning. All over the pasture they stood, of all sizes, some like buttons, some like tables, and in the distance one or two ragged women stooping over them with baskets, looking like huge fungi also. "'This is where the fairies feast,' said Tommy. "'They had a large party last night. When they go, they take away the dishes and cups, for they are made of gold. But they leave their tables, and we eat them.' "'I wonder whether giants would like to eat our tables,' said Johnny. This was beyond Tommy's capabilities of surmise, so they filled a handkerchief and hurried back again, for fear the tailor should have come downstairs. They were depositing the last mushroom in a dish on the table when his footsteps were heard descending. "'There he is!' exclaimed Tommy. "'Remember, we mustn't be caught. Run back to bed.' Johnny caught up the handkerchief, and smothering their laughter, the two scrambled back up the ladder and dashed straight into the heather. Meanwhile, the poor tailor came wearily downstairs. Day after day, since his wife's death, he had come down every morning to the same desolate sight, yesterday's refuse and an empty hearth. This morning's task of tidying was always a sad and ungrateful one to the widowed father. His awkward struggles with the housework in which she had been so notable chafed him. The dirty kitchen was dreary, the labor lonely, and it was an hour's time lost to his trade. But life does not stand still while one is wishing, and so the tailor did that for which there was neither remedy nor substitute, and came down this morning as other mornings to the pail and broom. When he came in he looked round, and started, and rubbed his eyes, looked round again, and rubbed them harder, then went up to the fire and held out his hand warm, certainly. Then up to the table and smelt the mushrooms. Excellent fungi beyond a doubt. Handled the loaf. Stared at the open door and window, the swept floor, and the sunshine pouring in. 
and finally sat down in stunned admiration. Then he jumped up and ran to the foot of the stairs, shouting, "'Mother! Mother! Trout's luck has come again!' "'And yet no,' he thought. "'The old lady's asleep. It's a shame to wake her. I'll tell those idle rascally lads. They'll be more pleased than they deserve. It was Tommy, after all, that set the water and caught them.' "'Boys, boys!' he shouted at the foot of the ladder. "'The brownie has come, and if he hadn't found my measure,' he added on returning to the kitchen, "'this is as good as a day's work to me.' There was great excitement in the small household that day. The boys kept their own counsel. The old grandmother was triumphant, and tried not to seem surprised. The tailor made no such vain effort, and remained till bedtime in a state of fresh and unconcealed amazement. "'I've often heard of the good people,' he broke out towards the end of the evening, "'and I've heard folks say they've known those that have seen them capering around the grey rocks on the moor at midnight. "'But this is wonderful! To come and do the work for a pan of cold water? Who could have believed it?' "'You might have believed it if you'd believed me, son Thomas,' said the old lady tossily. "'I told you so. But young people always know better than their elders.' "'I didn't see him,' said the tailor, beginning his story afresh, "'but I thought as I came in I heard a sort of laughing and rustling. "'My mother said they often heard him playing and laughing about the house,' said the old lady. "'I told you so.' "'Well, he shan't want for a bowl of bread and milk tomorrow, anyhow,' said the tailor. "'If I have to stick to Farmer Swede's waistcoat till midnight.' "'But the waistcoat was finished by bedtime, "'and the tailor set the bread and milk himself and went to rest.' "'I say,' said Tommy, when both the boys were in bed, "'the old owl was right, and we must stick to it. "'But I'll tell you what I don't like, "'and that is father thinking we're idle still. "'I wish he knew we were the brownies.' "'So do I,' said Johnny, and he sighed. "'I tell you what,' said Tommy, "'with the decisiveness of elder brotherhood, "'we'll keep quiet for a bit, for fear we should leave off.' "'but when we've gone on a good while, I shall tell him. "'It was only the old owl's grandmother's great-grandmother "'who said it was to be kept secret, "'and the old owl herself said grandmothers "'were not always in the right.' "'No more they are,' said Johnny. "'Look at Granny about this.' "'I know,' said Tommy. "'She's in a regular muddle.' "'So she is,' said Johnny. "'But that's rather fun, I think.' "'And they went to sleep.' Day after day went by, and still the brownies stuck to it and did their work. It is no such very hard matter, after all, to get up early when one is young and light-hearted, and sleeps upon heather in a loft without window-blinds, and with so many broken window-panes that the air comes freely in. In old times the boys used to play at tents among the heather, while the tailor did the housework. Now they came down and did it for him. Size is not everything, even in this material existence. One has heard of dwarfs who were quite as clever, not to say as powerful, as giants, and I do not fancy that fairy godmothers are ever very large. It is wonderful what a comfort brownies may be in the house that is fortunate enough to hold them. The tailor's brownies were the joy of his life, and day after day they seemed to grow more and more ingenious in finding little things to do for his good. Nowadays, Granny never picked a scrap for herself. One day's shearings were all neatly arranged the next morning, and laid by her knitting pins, 
and the tailor's tape and shears were no more absent without leave. One day a message came to him to offer him two or three days tailoring in a farmhouse some miles up the valley. This was pleasant and advantageous sort of work, good food, sure pay, and a cheerful change, but he did not know how he could leave his family, unless, indeed, the brownie might be relied upon to keep the house together, as they say. The boys were sure that he would, and they promised to set his water and to give as little trouble as possible. So finally the tailor took up his shears and went up the valley, where the green banks sloped up into purple moor, or broke into sandy rocks, crowned with nodding oak fern. On to the prosperous old farm, where he spent a very pleasant time, sitting level with the window geraniums on a table set apart for him, stitching and gossiping, gossiping and stitching, and feeling secure of honest payment when his work was done. The mistress of the house was a kind, good creature, and loved a chat, and though the tailor kept his own secret as to the brownies, he felt rather curious to know if the good people had any hand in the comfort of this flourishing household, and watched his opportunity to make a few careless inquiries on the subject. "'Brownies!' laughed the dame. "'I, master, I have heard of them. "'When I was a girl in service of the old hall on Cowberry Edge, "'I heard a good deal of one they said had lived there in former times. "'He did housework as well as a woman, and a good deal quicker, they said. "'One night one of the young ladies, that were then, they're all dead now, "'hid herself in a cupboard to see what he was like.' "'And what was he like?' inquired the tailor, as composedly as he was able. "'A little fellow,' they said, answered the farmer's wife, knitting calmly on. "'Like a dwarf, you know, with a largish head for his body. "'Not taller than—why, my Bill, or your eldest boy, perhaps. "'And he was dressed in rags, with an old cloak on, "'and stamping with passion at a cobweb he couldn't get at with his broom. "'They've very uncertain tempers, they say.' tears one minute and laughing the next. "'You never had one here, I suppose,' said the tailor. "'Not we,' she answered, "'and I think I'd rather not. They're not canny, after all, and my master and me have always been used to work, and we've sons and daughters to help us, and that's better than meddling with the fairies, to my mind.' "'No, no,' she added, laughing. "'If we had had one, you'd have heard of it, whoever didn't.' "'for I should have had some decent clothes made for him. "'I couldn't stand rags and old cloaks messing and moth-catching in my house.' "'They say it's not lucky to give them clothes, though,' said the tailor. "'They don't like it.' "'Tell me,' said the dame, "'as if any one that liked a tidy room wouldn't like tidy clothes, if they could get them. "'No, no. When we have one, you shall take his measure, I promise you.' and this was all the tailor got out of her on the subject. When his work was finished, the farmer paid him at once, and the good dame added half a cheese and a bottle green coat. "'That has been laid by for being too small for the master, now he's so stout,' said she. "'But except for a stain or two, it's good enough, and will cut up like new for one of the lads.' The tailor thanked them and said farewell and went home. Down the valley, where the river, wandering between the green banks and the sandy rocks, was caught by giant mosses and bands of fairy fern, and there choked and struggled, and at last barely escaped with an existence, and ran away in a diminished stream. On up the purple hills to the old ruined house. As he came in at the gate, he was struck by some idea of change, and looking again, he saw that the garden had been weeded, and was comparatively tidy. 
the truth is that tommy and johnny had taken advantage of the tailor's absence to do some brownies work in the daytime it's that blessed brownie said the tailor has he been as usual he asked when he was in the house to be sure said the old lady all has been well son thomas i'll tell you what it is said the tailor after a pause i'm a needy man but i hope i'm not ungrateful i can never repay the brownie for what he has done for me and mine but the mistress up yonder has given me a bottle green coat that will cut up as good as new and as sure as there's a brownie in this house i'll make him a suit of it you'll what shrieked the old lady son thomas son thomas you're mad do what you please for the brownies but never make them clothes there's nothing they want more said the tailor by all accounts they're all in rags as well they might be doing so much work if you make clothes for this brownie he'll go for good said the grandmother in a voice of awful warning well i don't know said her son the mistress up at the farm is clever enough i can tell you and as she said to me fancy any one that likes a tidy room not liking a tidy coat for the tailor like most men was apt to think well of the wisdom of womankind in other houses well well said the old lady go your own way i'm an old woman and my time is not long it doesn't matter much to me but it was new clothes that drove the brownie out before and trout's luck went with him i know mother said the tailor and i've been thinking of it all the way home and i can tell you why it was depend on it the clothes didn't fit but i'll tell you what i mean to do i shall measure them by tommy they say the brownies are about his size and if ever i turned out a well-made coat and waistcoat they shall be his please yourself said the old lady and she would say no more i think you're quite right father said tommy and if i can i'll help you to make them next day the father and son set to work and tommy contrived to make himself so useful that the tailor hardly knew how he got through so much work it's not like the same thing he broke out at last to have someone a bit helpful about you both for the tailoring and for company's sake i've not done such a pleasant morning's work since your poor mother died i'll tell you what it is tommy he added if you were always like this i shouldn't much care whether brownie stayed or went i'd give up his help to have yours i'll be back directly said tommy who burst out of the room in search of his brother i've come away he said squatting down because i can't bear it i very nearly let it all out and i shall soon i wish the things weren't going to come to me he added kicking a stone in front of him i wish he'd measured you johnny i'm very glad he didn't said johnny i wish he'd kept them himself bottle green with brass buttons murmured tommy and therewith fell into a reverie the next night the suit was finished and laid by the bread and milk we shall see said the old lady in a withering tone there is not much real prophetic wisdom in this truism but it sounds very awful and the tailor went to bed somewhat depressed next morning the brownies came down as usual don't they look splendid said tommy feeling the cloth when we've tidied the place i shall put them on but long before the place was tidy he could wait no longer and dressed up look at me he shouted bottle green and brass buttons oh johnny i wish you had some it's a good thing there are two brownies said johnny laughing and one of them in rags still i shall do the work this morning 
and he went flourishing round with a broom, while Tommy jumped madly about in his new suit. "'Hurrah!' he shouted. "'I feel just like the brownie. What was it Granny said he sang when he got his clothes? Oh, I know. What have we here? Hampton, Hampton, here will I never more tread nor stampin'. And on he danced, regardless of the clouds of dust raised by Johnny, as he drove the broom indiscriminately over the floor, to the tune of his own laughter. It was laughter which roused the tailor that morning, laughter coming through the floor from the kitchen below. He scrambled on his things and stole downstairs. "'It's the brownie,' he thought. "'I must look if it's for the last time.' At the door he paused and listened. The laughter was mixed with singing, and he heard the words, "'What have we here? Hempton, Hampton. Here will I never more tread nor stampin'.' He pushed in, and this was the sight that met his eyes. The kitchen in its primeval condition of chaos— the untidy particulars of which were the less apparent, as everything was more or less obscured by the clouds of dust, where Johnny reigned triumphant, like a witch with her broomstick, and to crown all, Tommy capering and singing in the brownie's bottle-green suit, brass buttons and all. "'What's this?' shouted the astonished tailor, when he could find breath to speak. "'It's the brownies!' sang the boys, and on they danced for they had worked themselves up into a state of excitement from which it was not easy to settle down. "'Where is Brownie?' shouted the father. "'He's here,' said Tommy. "'We are the Brownies.' "'Can't you stop that fooling?' cried the tailor angrily. "'This is past a joke. Where's the real Brownie, I say?' "'We are the only Brownies, really, father,' said Tommy, coming to a full stop and feeling strongly tempted to run down from laughing to crying." "'Ask the old owl. It's true, really.' The tailor saw the boy was in earnest, and passed his hand over his forehead. "'I suppose I'm getting old,' he said. "'I can't see daylight through this. If you are the brownie, who has been tidying the kitchen lately?' "'We have,' said they. "'But who found my measure?' "'I did,' said Johnny. "'And who sorts your grandmother's scraps?' "'We do,' said they.' "'And who sets breakfast and puts my things in order?' "'We do,' they said. "'But when do you do it?' asked the tailor. "'Before you come down,' they said. "'But I always have to call you,' said the tailor. "'We get back to bed again,' said the boys. "'But how was it you never did it before?' asked the tailor doubtfully. "'We were idle. We were idle,' said Tommy. The tailor's voice rose to a pitch of desperation. "'But if you did the work,' he shouted, "'where is the brownie?' "'Here!' cried the boys, "'and we are very sorry that we were Bogarts so long.' With which the father and sons fell into each other's arms and fairly wept. It will be believed that to explain all this to the grandmother was not the work of a moment. She understood it all at last, and the tailor could not restrain a little good-humoured triumph on the subject. Before he went to work, he settled her down in the window with her knitting and kissed her. "'What do you think of it all, mother?' he inquired. "'Barons are a blessing,' said the old lady tartly. "'I told you so.'" End of The Brownies by Juliana Horatia Ewing